0: it's not just good conversation it's your voice on the weekends weekends with kenny rahmeyer on news radio klbj great show i've been listening for a while hi kenny hi thanks for working the weekend I pass through every now and then and catch your show, and I really do enjoy it every time I get to come through town. You're you're straight and honest and I appreciate it.
1: Come
2: on talk
0: to me. And good afternoon. Welcome to Weekends with Kenny Romeyer right here on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for being with us live and local. This afternoon, coming up on the program today, a national security bill that appears to be gaining some steam on Capitol Hill this weekend, along with some really very concerning remarks from our U.S. FBI director in Munich, Germany, about cybersecurity threats from China. All of that coming up here in just a moment on KLBJ. Also, local story some troubling concerns on the part of a round rock isd school board member over an investigation into the the round rock isd police department this report has not been released to the public and we're going to talk with this board member about her concerns about all this she's read the report and we'll talk to her in just a few moments right here on news radio klbj we'll have some presidential politics and a whole lot more this afternoon. And as always, you can join us as we go along this afternoon, 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. So, you know, leading up to the weekend, there was a a bipartisan bill was passed last week in the Senate and it was what? 90 some billion dollars, right? $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, $9 billion for humanitarian aid to Gaza, the West Bank and Ukraine, and then about $5 billion to deter Chinese aggression in uh, around Taiwan. And so that passed in the Senate, it's going nowhere in the house. So on Friday, a $66 billion national security package was rolled out. It includes some border restrictions meant to appeal to some of the members, Republican side at least, in the House of Representatives. So that's $66 billion, $47 billion for Ukraine, $10 billion for Israel, $5 billion for the the Chinese component of this over around Taiwan, and then $2 billion support operations in U.S. Central Command. But it also includes stricter measures for border security, including reinstating the Remain in Mexico policy for one year. It would also require the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security to suspend entry of inadmissible migrants at the border if they determine it's necessary to achieve operational control of the border for one year. So that was a hot topic on some of the Sunday TV news shows today. Uh, here's uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar and the majority leader in the Senate, both Democrats, Chuck Schumer, talking about the importance of, of passing some bill that we just talked about.
2: When you look at what this funding is for, it is for making sure our own troops in places like Poland are funded so they can be a deterrent for any additional Russian evasions, because who stops Vladimir Putin if he marches right into Kiev,
1: marches right into Ukraine from yeah. going further? I'm here today to say that the death of Navalny rings an urgent alarm bell that demands that House Speaker Johnson pass the bipartisan national security supplemental
0: with the dire help that Ukraine needs. Navalny, of course, the uh, the anti-Putin activist over in Russia that was, was found dead in prison, very troubling stories about uh, what's been going on with his situation. President Biden weighed in on the importance of trying to pass some legislation. He was uh, really taking it out on Congress for not doing their job. Here's President Biden about all this. The idea that we're going to
3: walk away from Ukraine, the idea that we're going to let NATO begin to
0: split, is totally against the interests of the United States of America, and it is against our word we've given since the truth, since all the way back to Eisenhower. On the Republican side of Senator Lindsey Graham, he was on CBS's Phase the Nation today, and it sounds like he's becoming more interested in this House bill after he'd voted against the deal in the Senate. Here's Senator Graham.
2: Why did I vote? No, I want to help ourselves by securing our border. I want to help Ukraine, Taiwan, uh, and Israel. The border provisions were were not adequate Understood. to the task, even though there were many good things. I see a pathway forward now for Ukraine, Taiwan, and, and uh, Israel. I see a way to secure our border in a more simple fashion. Let's make Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. All of this can happen in the next 30 days. It would be a game changer for the world. So uh, we'll see what happens.
0: All right. Well, I think the House is out for at least a couple of weeks or more. So he's talking 30 days. We'll We'll follow that story and and see where it goes. I mentioned some very uh, troubling comments out of our FBI director over at this big uh, security conference in Munich, Germany. This is Christopher Wray talking about uh, his concerns about Beijing's efforts to covertly plant offensive malware inside U.S. critical infrastructure networks. And he says it's now, quote, at a scale greater than we've seen before. End quote, he said these Beijing-backed actors are pre-positioning malware that could be triggered at any moment to disrupt US critical infrastructure. He said it's the tip of the iceberg. It's one of many such efforts by the Chinese. And that uh, in China, he says, uh, they're getting increasingly aggressive about inserting offensive weapons within our critical infrastructure to attack whenever Beijing decides the time is right. He declined to elaborate on what other critical infrastructure has been targeted. He stressed that the FBI has, quote, a lot of work underway, end quote. And over at this conference, he's been prodding the foreign governments in Europe and Asia to put more resources on this threat of the Chinese hacking campaigns, especially protecting critical infrastructure. So some of these concerns he had expressed not too long ago in front of our congressional committees here, and we're going to keep following this story. He said that the United States is particularly focused on a threat of pre-positioning, And some European officials describe that as the cyber equivalent of pointing a ballistic missile at critical infrastructure. So none of that sounds good, and we'll continue to follow that story. National Security Concerns here on KLBJ. Another local story that's, that's pretty troubling as well. And we're going to see what we can find out about this. An investigation into the Round Rock ISD Police Department was initiated by the Round Rock ISD superintendent in October of last year. That investigation was done by a third-party independent investigator And then at last Thursday night's school board meeting, two of those school board members tried to get the results of that confidential 82-page investigation released to the public. By a 5-2 vote, the board chose not to release the contents of that investigation. At this time, they cited legal concerns. Now, according to one of the board members we're going to be talking to in just a moment, who's read the report, she said the investigation relates to, quote, the culture and climate, end quote, of the Round Rock ISD Police Department. Here's a little bit of how that uh, Thursday meeting, school board meeting, went last week and, and how they got to the point where this whole thing has been tabled, at least for now. You're going to hear two school board members Talking about this, Dr. Mary Bone and Danielle Weston, and then the the president of the school board at the very end.
1: I move to release the police department investigation and related documents to the public with any personnel redactions needed for public release. Second. I have a motion and a second. Trustee Weston.
3: So when taxpayer dollars are spent to... Um, hire an investigator to look into um, events on a large scale in the school district. When when those resources are instead diverted uh, to uh, perform this type of an investigation of this scale, the public has a right to know what is going on with appropriate redactions, as Dr. Bone says, and I am deeply concerned that this uh, endeavor was underway without the board knowing about it. And um, I'm really concerned about what I have seen in this very lengthy document. And I I believe, given the sensitivity and because we're talking about the impact on 47,000 students and the scale of what this investigation was about, I believe that our taxpayers who paid for this have a right to see it and have a right to know what is going on In Round Rock ISD and if this board votes not to I believe in my opinion that the public should take that as a sign That this board wants to make sure that the public is the last to know about what is going on in Round Rock ISD
1: Trustee bone. Yes, the reason I bring this forward is that I think Almost everybody on this dais. We have talked about the police department the police department is fairly newly formed still There was a lot of controversy in our community about the police department, and I think any type of investigation, like Trustee Weston said, on a large scale, is of public, high public interest. And for transparency's sake, I believe our community has the right to understand what is happening in our police department on a whole scale under an investigation that was funded by their taxpayer dollars that impacts their children's schools, that it could potentially impact our district. And that is the reason you give the community information. Because as I stated to my colleagues, this did not come from inside the district. This is already out in the community. The community has broad knowledge of what is going on. And it was brought to me randomly, and I didn't even know about it And the commun- That does not build trust in the community. The community thinks we know what's going on on this dais without having to request it for months and finally get the documentation when our community members already know because some of these things were filed by those community members and they assume that the board is oversighting the district. Um, I have a substitute motion.
0: All right. And so, right at the end, there, a motion was passed five to two to table the release of the report, Pending Conversations with Legal Counsel. That's where it ended up last Thursday. Board member Danielle Weston has read this report. She told me before we went on air today that she's got, quote, grave concerns, end quote, about the safety of students, faculty, and staff in the district based on what she's seen in this report. And we'll talk with her live coming up just a moment here on KLBJ. And thanks for being with us this afternoon. Kenny Rallmeyer with you on News Radio KLBJ. If you just joined us, we are talking about an investigation into the Round Rock ISD Police Department. And joining us to, to talk more about that is one of the school board members there, Round Rock ISD, Danielle Weston. Danielle, thanks a lot for being with us on KLBJ this afternoon.
2: Thank you, Kenny, for having me on. Um, It's very important to me that the public know what's going on here, so uh, it's with great distress and worry, but certainly out of a sense of obligation that I'm on the phone with you right now.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this. You've told me that you've read the report, it's 82 pages. School district attorneys have told you you can't reveal the contents, that it's marked confidential. What you have shared with me before we went on air today is that it has to do with the climate and culture of the Round Rock Independent School uh, Police Department. And you've said it's bad. You've said that you have grave concerns about the students, the staff, and faculty's safety. Can you elaborate on that?
2: Yes, I will, Kenny. And I think a lot of our listeners can probably relate. You know, I, my husband and I have five children. We have 47,000 students in this school district. Nothing is more important and our children and their safety along with the safety of um, six a, a six thousand person workforce and so it was last fall probably in october that uh i started hearing rumors in the community that there was a a investigation of the entire police school district police department underway and initially i kind of dismissed it because i thought well you know something like that was going on certainly the school board would know about it but the rumors persisted and so uh, trustee mary bone and i inquired to the superintendent about it and after some delay he finally admitted that you know, this investigation was going on. And so we requested, you know, what is the report? What are the findings? And that was, we started requesting that in November. It was finally provided to the school board in the January 10th through 16th timeframe. And uh, also back in November, we were asking for it to be on an agenda. And so finally we got the report in mid January. And then finally, it got on the agenda for discussion last Thursday night, and then the tape that you played uh, is the publicly available um, concerns that we voiced coming out of that meeting.
0: And so I need you to try to help us understand when you talk about the climate and culture, you've, you've said that's a lot of what you took out of this report. Um, does that reflect on the competency and capability of the Round Rock School Police Department?
2: Well, Kenny, I will tell you, and I actually pulled up the report again. I have it right in front of me, and I've got the observations and findings from the third-party investigator who I believe came from the Dallas-Fort Worth area and our community to perform this um, large-scale investigation. And when I read this, Kenny, I tell you I could not sleep Thursday night based on what I see in it. Now, I do not have any uh, specific knowledge of a specific threat or anything like that. That is not what we are talking about. This was an investigation of the culture and climate of the school district police department. And when I read it, I could not sleep Thursday night. Uh, You heard my comments from the dais. You know, parents send their children to these schools with an expectation that everybody's working together and that the focus is on the students and that, uh, you know, certain things we have expectations. And I think if parents in our community and our taxpayers were to read the findings and the observations in this report, they would share my grave concerns for okay,
0: the safety. But you are bound, as of now, by your attorneys there within the school district, that you can't talk about or reveal any more about what's going on with this report. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that's the the school district attorneys paid for by taxpayers are telling the board members that we are not allowed. They've got the word confidential stamped across this document, and they say that we cannot reveal it. And so I, I the reason I'm talking to you, Kenny, is because I sit here as a wife, a mother, a taxpayer, and I'm, I'm very conflicted about what I'm supposed to do because I believe that the public... And I believe that parents have a right to know what is going on in the school district when we are talking about the safety of children and staff. And these attorneys are telling me that we can't.
0: All right. And so as it stands now, the, the motion that was made and passed five to two, I'm not going to release it now. We're going to uh, talk to our attorneys some more and go from there. So there is no definitive date yet established to release the contents of this report. Is that correct?
2: Yes, that is correct. There's some sort of they passed some sort of vague motion. You know, Mary made Dr. Mary Bone, one of the school board trustees, made a motion to release the report. I seconded it. They would not vote on that. Instead, they put forward a different uh, motion to delay it and consult with the attorneys at some unknown date in the future.
0: Okay, so some of the comments between you and and Dr. Bone were talking about the community already knows about this, and officers are starting to talk. What? I don't want to go along with hearsay necessarily, but is there word on the street about this at all? I think you'd said that all of the Round Rock uh, school officers had been interviewed. Is that correct?
2: Uh, that is my understanding, uh, based on what I can see in the report. And you have to understand, Kenny. You know, these are these are real people, and they have wives, they have neighbors, they have friends, they have family. Right? They have. Uh, children. So these are these are community members, and when you've got an investigation and uh, in the nature of what they're being asked about going on. Human, I mean, word starts to spread, right? But like I said, when I ri- originally just sort of caught wind of rumors in passing, I dismissed it because I thought, well, surely that would be ridiculous that you would have some sort of investigation of that nature with those kinds of topics, and the the school board would know nothing about it. So I I just dismissed it. But then the the rumors persisted. We went ahead and asked, and then it was confirmed.
0: Okay. So, and by the way, I did on Friday afternoon – I called the Round Rock ISD, uh, the police department. I talked to a supervisor who would neither confirm nor deny anything about this investigation. I was referred by her to the District Public Information Office. Uh, I made calls to that office as well as to the, the board secretary's office. Just got voicemails, and that's where we were heading into the weekend. So... With limited uh, amount of time here Mary I'm sorry Danielle go ahead
2: I was gonna say, well, we do know that the investigation exists because Trustee Bone made the motion to release the investigation. I made comments about the investigation. The school board president, uh, in her comments, she referenced the investigation. So the fact that the investigation happened is not in dispute. The only thing that is in dispute is whether or not the parents who send their children to our schools and the taxpayers who pay for our schools will ever know about real concerns and real problems going on in our school police department. That is the only question that remains on the table.
0: The next scheduled school board meeting is when?
2: So the next regularly scheduled school board meeting will be uh, Thursday, March 21st. And I would encourage people who are interested to reach out to the school district and reach out to the elected and unelected leaders of the school district and demand to see this report. Demand to have to let, let, let our public who pay for it, who send our children to the schools, know what is going on. I believe they have a right to know.
0: And with only a minute to go here, is it your sense of, I know you'd all, you talked about trying to get some redactions and and get a report released along those lines. Would that be satisfactory to you, depending on what the redactions are, uh, to just get anything out there at this point?
2: Well, uh Obviously, I don't think there's any value, and the law stipulates it under certain circumstances. You have to, for example, read the name of an employee, or you have to redact the name of a student, or you have to, you know, certain particulars like that. Just You've got privacy laws. You've got stuff like that. So I think that would be reasonable.
0: All right. Danielle Weston, we appreciate you bringing this to our attention and taking your time to share with us what you can about it. This afternoon, we'll continue to follow the story and uh, stay in touch, and, and we appreciate your time this afternoon.
2: Thank you, Kenny. Have a good day.
0: Danielle Weston from the Round Rock Independent School District uh, Board telling us about this investigation into the police department there. We still like to know a lot more. Stay with us here on KLBJ. Hey, Kenny Rahmmeyer, back with you on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for being with us on News Radio KLBJ. I, well, so you just uh, heard our interview with. School board member out of Round Rock, there, Danielle Weston, about an investigation into the Round Rock ISD Police Department done in October of last year. Third party independent investigator brought in by the superintendent, according to the school board member. Two of those board members tried to get the results of that confidential 82 page investigation released last Thursday, five to two vote. The board said nope. Not going to release the content citing legal concerns. And now, who knows when we're going to see that, right? As taxpayers, whether you're within the Round Rock School District, certainly as a taxpayer, wouldn't you like to know, here's this thing done back in October of last year. Here we are mid-February. And still only a handful of people know what's in it. The, The board members have been allowed to read it hasn't been released to the public I would think as taxpayers I'm one of those in the Round Rock School District I'd sure like to know what's going on it's about the climate and culture uh, this board member said she had grave concerns that doesn't sound good I'm going to try to give the benefit of the doubt to the to the police department there the, the school board police they're the school police department Climate and culture doesn't necessarily impact Performance or competency or capability. On the other hand, not sure what goes into climate and culture, right? So, even if they're still doing a good job, depending on what's going on within the ranks, it could be problems here. We just need to know, right? Just looking for some transparency here, right? That would seem a reasonable request at this point. Five one two eight three six zero five ninety. You can. Give us a call, send us a text here on KLBJ if you have any thoughts on that. Just one of several things we're talking about this afternoon here on KLBJ. Let's We'll stay on that. And she said the next board meeting is not till, what, March 21st? Okay, well, there's a whole month for uh, uh, taxpayers, for parents, faculty members, students, right, to, uh, to step up and say, hey, we want more information here. That seems like a reasonable request at this point. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. Some other news today. I got to get into this presidential politics a little bit because some really interesting articles in the media over the weekend. One out of the Wall Street Journal, one from CNN, uh, a couple of columnists and a couple of the biggest uh, media outlets out there, the Wall Street Journal, And the New York Times both kind of singing a a familiar or at least the same tune about calling for President Biden to step down. And he would be a hero if he were to do that and let somebody else run on the Democrats ticket. Let me first get to a couple of these articles, one out of the Wall Street Journal from yesterday. Here's the headline. Democratic donors feel resignation anxiety over Biden. Key backers see no effort to push Biden aside. And so when you get into the contents of this, I'll, I'll read you a few of the excerpts here, a few of the key excerpts. is references that special counsel report that came out. And of course, there was a, a Thursday night press conference from President Biden writes, it was a disaster, got a lot of attention. So after that, Wall Street Journal says donors hit the phones, discuss their worries about his vulnerabilities in hushed tones. Journal reports, but conversations with more than a dozen fundraising bundlers reveal that even those who are worried about Biden are resigned to the idea that he'll be the nominee barring a serious health problem or an abrupt change of heart on his part and that there is no effort to try to push him aside. This journal report goes on to say many donors said they've spent time with Biden in recent months, and they described him as clear and capable. Report also says the fear of Trump returning to the White House is driving motivation for these donors. Journal says some Democrats worry that any public intra-party uprising against Biden would only weaken him in the matchup against Trump. And there's no consensus about whether VP Harris would perform any better in November if she were the choice instead of Biden. So the donors say the president's fundraising is still strong. This coming week, he's going to be at a multi million dollar event in California. The campaign says they're still getting a lot of strong grassroots. Fundraising, and they point to something I raised last week, jokingly kind of about this March 28th fundraiser. It's going to feature former presidents Obama and Clinton. Remember, last week I said they're they're going to pull old Joe aside and say, "Hey, you're out, buddy," and our wives are going to head up the ticket. That's the new deal. That's obviously uh, <laughs> speculation on my part, and I'm guessing that's not really going to happen. But that would make for an interesting. Fundraiser, right? So journal concludes many donors say they want to see more of Biden campaigning, especially doing the kind of smaller retail events that he has favored in recent months. But bottom line, donors said there's no serious discussion about pushing him to the exits from the race. Okay, so there's that. And then out of CNN, huge feature piece on their website today, two dozen sources telling CNN that VP Harris has been gathering information to help her penetrate what she sometimes refers to as the bubble of the Biden campaign thinking. And she's telling people she's hoping to use the intel that she's picking up in these conversations to push for changes in strategy and tactics that she thinks gonna put the ticket in better shape to win. And so, according to CNN, a lot of leading Democrats who have been anxious about a campaign they think's been stumbling, even past a point in no return, say their conversations with the VP have been surprising and a welcome change. Months after feeling like they've been sloughed off by the White House and the Biden campaign headquarters. So a lot of these people say their conversations have shifted their opinions of her and they see her now as more integral and complementary part of the re-election effort. Okay, so I'm going to give her credit when she says she's trying to break through the bubble of the Biden campaign. It was just last week, right? I, I talked about insiders telling the New York Times the campaign is in as much said. This campaign is bubble wrap. It's not the basement campaign that they had back in 2020. This time around, it's bubble wrap. And so she was apparently astute in that regard. But beyond that, this seems like a puff piece designed to try to, uh, I guess, get the public thinking that VP Harris is much more competent and capable and strategic and a key part of the campaign and, and all this other stuff than anything we see evidence of, those of us who are watching any of this very closely. 512-836-0590. Give us a call or send us a text here on KLBJ. And then interesting editorial piece out of the Wall Street Journal this weekend. Oh, this is pretty good. Bill McGurn said the selection of Kamala Harris turns out to be the best thing Biden has ever done for himself, if not for the Democrat Party. Because he's stating the obvious, what a lot of us have been saying, as long as she's in the West Wing, he's not going anywhere. Democrats wanting to replace Biden to fear if he's on the ticket, they might lose, but they further calculate for all his problems, she would even be an easier win for Trump. And so bottom line, however inadvertent it may have been, according to Bill McGurn, Biden's choice of Kamala Harris was maybe the most brilliant strategic move of his long political life. So there you go. And then these two columnists, Peggy Noonan out of the Wall Street Journal, Ezra Klein out of the New York Times, both, did they compare notes before they went to press here? Both saying Joe Biden ought to step down as president and that that would essentially make him a hero in the Democrat Party and maybe even in the country making way for a new nominee. Peggy Noonan concludes when the topics about Biden, Democrats are depressed, but they accept the inevitability here that there's nobody else, and the Democrats are not going to ever agree on anybody else. And Ezra Klein's just saying that he ought to step down and be the hero and make way for a different nominee, and that the likes of Barack Obama. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi and other close allies are the ones that would be best positions to convince him to drop out. Doesn't seem like any of that's going on. Meantime, it's full speed ahead for the Biden campaign to continue to dole out as many favors as he possibly can. A couple of good examples here. Out of the New York Times, you know how we've read uh, just maybe since the first of the year, late last year, and that a lot of the big car companies have in as much said, we are scaling back our investments in electric vehicles big time, right? The trajectory of the sales prospects is just not there. We're not selling enough off the dealer's lots currently and so forth. So we are scaling back on the amount of money that we're putting into shifting off of the internal combustion engine vehicles we have, which are selling pretty darn good these days, and trying to convert to electric vehicles too soon. So out of the New York Times, in a concession to the big car makers and labor unions, the Biden administration's going to relax some of the strategies designed to get Americans to switch to electric vehicles. So instead of trying to get the car makers to rapidly ramp up sales of these EVs over the next few years, they are going to give them a little more time. And they're not looking for big upticks in in sales until after 2030, and we're supposed to hear more about the the final rules about all of this, the the relaxation of the restrictions in early spring. So, the Times reports this is uh, the Biden team effort to get more cooperation from the car companies, get more political support from the big unions, and and try to convince people he's not all about an abrupt change to EVs. That would cost jobs, of course, and we're just not going to go there. So even though there were over, what, 1.2 million EVs sold in the U.S. last year, growth is slowing. And and there, of course, tax credits out there and all that. We've heard about revisions to those. We know the infrastructure for the EV chargers is not there. And supposedly the administration is going to say, yeah, 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 you got more time on all of that. So between that and we know the president is, is hellbent on continuing to try to do an end around on the Supreme Court rulings that administration is not supposed to be given any relief to the student loans. They, we continue to see stories almost every day about how he's looking for loopholes and, and ways around continuing to give relief to those that have student loans. So I guess in this campaign year, in this election year, we're just gonna see more of this kind of stuff rolled out, right? All in the interest of of garnering more votes. I mean, Trump did it with the farmers back when he was in office, and at, right, when it's election season. Forget about the stories that we've been seeing of the massive amounts of Government spending and how our national debt and the deficit and everything else continues to go out of control. 512 836 0590. Give us a call or send us a text right here on KLBJ. Hey, Kenny Rommeyer, back with you here on a Sunday afternoon, live and local on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks a lot for being with us. So, yeah, if we talking presidential politics. I'm getting some text here. Hey, Kenny, what about the, uh, the, the millions of dollars in legal judgments against uh, Trump and that. Yeah, yeah, it's old news, right, by now. And it's days old by now. I do have some angles on that. We'll get to that in just a moment. I, I continue to see these reports about how this campaign year is going to be. Here's, here's a report, a new round of nastiness. <laughs> it says themes, and as far as the advertising goes, right? Themes of hope and optimism, once a staple of campaign messaging, are an increasingly short supply. Negative ads now make up more than half of all political ads in the top media markets. And a lot of these TV spots are what they call contrast ads. So it's a combination of negative messages about an opponent and then a positive message about the candidate running the ad. Purely positive ads touting the virtues of the candidate and all that, only about 25% of the total. Little uh, surprise there, right? But just the sheer volume, there's many more negative messages, and that's especially true in swing states. Fortunately, we're not one of those, right? Can you imagine in Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, you know, North Carolina, some of these states, whoa, those people, they don't even know. I mean, they're probably seeing it now, and it's just going to be an onslaught between now and November. Now, just get this, in the Phoenix media market, 20 years ago, 20,000 ads maybe. Today, 100,000. And this really began, they say, the negativity really started taking off in the 2000 election cycle. And this uh, company, Ad Impact, an advertising analytics firm, says the current election cycle is going to be the most expensive in history, more than 10 billion dollars spent across all media platforms. Wow. That's up 13% from 2020, if it all plays out that way. And then along with that, just engagement with political news. Listeners like you all listening on a Sunday afternoon right now, you are clearly the minority. Engagement with political news and news generally down considerably compared to the last presidential primary election cycle. This report says Americans continue to channel their attention toward lighter topics like sports and entertainment, and and people are looking for storylines outside of the election and hard news. Well, people are worn down, right? They're worn out already. We still got nine months to go. Cable news ratings down a lot in uh, say between November of last year, January of this year. Engagement with platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, X, TikTok, all those. A lot more than uh, the the town halls and the debates and and that kind of stuff. So there we are. We're just, we're tuning out collectively. And then, of course, (laughs) Bill Maher. No, this is uh, Kevin O'Leary. I got some stuff from Bill Maher here, too. He says the media is over-dramatizing. The 2024 election, Kevin O'Leary, one of those guys on Shark Tank, he's talking about Trump in particular, says extraordinary. If you look at the data, Trump's getting about 80 percent of the unpaid media. He says, if you don't want to call that genius, it's millions of dollars of free network time all for Trump all day long. Well, when he's when he's got court cases going and the CNNs and the MSNBCs and and Fox are, are covering it wall to wall no commercial interrupts and all that. Yep, and and Trump, you know, has always believed as long as they're talking about him, whether it's good or bad, he thinks that's favorable, right? Well, he launched something there at this sneaker con event this weekend, right? It's a traveling convention for collectors that buy and sell shoes. And so he's launched a golden pair, a golden pair of sneakers, with an American, American flag detail on the back of the shoes. They're called Never Surrender High Tops. And apparently there's a split crowd there, some holding up signs, sneakerheads love Trump, signs others were booing and shouting. And so, yeah, these are $399, a limited edition, of course. Well, what do you know? They sold out already. What a surprise! There, a thousand for sale, sold out last night. I'm sure that's by design. Ten of them were randomly autographed by Trump, <laughs> and I, I, I put I did some math on this. So, at now, supposedly this has nothing to do with the Trump campaign, right? It, sneakers, perfume, cologne, right? He's got all sorts of stuff going. All the, the his name, image, and likeness is licensed to. An an LLC venture. But I thought, all right, well, he's got, as the texture pointed out, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of of legal consequences now ahead of him. And I just said, okay, so if we take 399 as the go rate there, you'd have to sell 1.14 million pair of sneakers to try to offset the four and a half, some four hundred fifty million dollars that he, he really needs to try to offset the losses so far. And I'm thinking, so what how do we get that up a little bit there? Maybe um, maybe you click the heels, you get an audio file of Lee Greenwood's greatest hits, maybe. Um, maybe he could partner with the My Pillow guy, have a matching companion set of the golden sneakers and some golden sheets and pillowcases. Maybe for 5.99, you could ratchet it up here. 5.99, a little secret compartment there. We got some hydroxychloroquine, maybe some ivermectin, if you ever need it, just in case. <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna give uh, gonna give the comedians lots to work with here in the days and weeks ahead. I'm guessing there's gonna be another run, and then another run, another demand. Right? He's got to respond to the demand. I got to get to a couple of stories uh, just just to wrap up here. And Garrett was hoping that you could jump in because you're the only one that's going to know about this stuff. Uh, because I'm talking pizza and and drinks, right? Now that's in your wheelhouse, isn't it, Garrett? Producer Garrett? You got a mic up there. Can't hear you yet. There we go. We're good. Pizza and, and drinks. Yeah. Wheelhouse, course. would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. So this uh, this report this, out of CNBC says that uh, the 10 most expensive pizza cities, we are on that list, one, two, three, four, five, six. We are number nine on the list Okay, at $21.50 for a pizza. Does that sound pretty steep? Very steep. I don't buy pizza. What's Because uh, in New York, it's almost 30 bucks. Oh, man. Now, I don't know what kind of pizza or whatever. Just what are we talking here? For a, a pizza, if you went out to get a pizza, what are you hoping to spend? Maybe like seventeen. Ah, so okay, so this is five bucks more than what you'd be like. That's spend, crazy, there, huh? And then I know you're a big football fan. they They did some kind of survey, and apparently they got this data from twenty eight thousand breath tests. I guess there's an app that that collects people that want to uh, you know get an instant breathalyzer so they know whether they should drive or not, right? So this data was collected from twenty eight thousand breath tests. The Tennessee Titans are the drunkest fans in the NFL. Huh. I would have never guessed that. The average blood alcohol content on game day for the Tennessee Titans, point oh nine three. Ooh. How about the Super Bowl champ Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, you see Travis Kelsey think, holy smokes, they're off the charts, right? Nope. .051%. All right. One of the lowest, you know, as far as their fan base. Not a lot of drinking going on in KC there. Huh. So uh, we'll pass that on to your sports guys. Garrett, of course, is the secret sauce for the success of the Jeff and Ed Sports Show weekday afternoons on 102.7 ESPN. Thanks a lot for being with us this afternoon. Thank you, Garrett, for your help as always. And uh, the latest in news coming up next right here on News Radio KLBJ.